When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, and it's the week the Palace lost 2-1 to Spurs in the Friday night madness down at Sellers Park. Joining us this week is Ruben Pinder. How are you, RP? I'm okay, as, as well as I can be, given the current state of things. But yeah, uh, happy to be back on. Thank you. Lovely to have you here. Jack Pierce is also here. Jack, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm still at Sellers waiting for the VAR decision regarding Jordan Ayew's goal. <laughs> I'm all right, thank you, Jim. It's uh, yeah, got back to the south coast on Friday night, greeted by fire engines at the train station due to flooding. So that was that was quite a way to, wow. to end the night. But uh, yeah, wet weekend started in uh, in proper fashion by palaces rather. It's a good job. Performance. Yeah, it's a good job Kevin's not on because you couldn't say the phrase wet weekend and get away with it. Oh, fair anyway, enough. <laughs> we won't. We don't stoop to that level when I'm hosting, uh, mainly because I can't think of a punchline. Uh, let's move on to the admin. Uh, for the 23-24 season, we're delighted the FYP podcast is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sport venues are showing every televised Palace fixture over the course of the season. Uh, so we hope you got down to one if you couldn't make it to sell us on Friday night. Uh, instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, you can get your mates together, get down your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. This season, Green King have launched the Green King Sport Instagram page uh, to be the home to fan content deals and competitions throughout the season. You might have even seen this particular face, and I'm pointing at my face, it's an audio podcast, uh, featured a few times on there. Um, they've already given away Champions League final tickets and signed shirts, so you won't want to miss out. Drop them a follow on Instagram, uh, and you won't just be the first to know about all that lovely stuff. You'll be helping out FYP as well. Link is below in the show notes. Another shout out for Kevin Day's new book, Unfit and Improper Persons, An Idiot's Guide to Owning a Football Club, uh, which obviously is written with the fantastic uh, Kira Maguire and Guy Kilty from the Price of Football podcast. And I'm delighted to say we've got a 25% off code just for FYP listeners. If you go to bloomsbury.com and use the code 5 year plan 25 that's all capitals, all the words spelt out, five-year plan, 20, well, 25 is not spelt out. I'll put it in the show notes below. You can copy and paste it and put it in there. And I did say a few weeks ago, we've got three copies to give away on Twitter. And I've realized today I've forgotten about that. So keep an eye on our social media. We will give, maybe we'll do like one on Instagram, two on Twitter or something, but I'll try and get it done this week. But if you can't wait, get onto bloomfield.com and get a copy of that book for 25% off. Uh, and then don't forget, of course, our patron. Regular shout out for our patron post match pods uh, after every game. Add free versions of this ep- this podcast uh, and access to the Discord club 
<laughs> which is a very, very lovely place on Friday night, as you can imagine. Some very good chat indeed in there. Uh, Patreon.com slash FYP podcast, links below as well to sign up. Right. Shall we talk about the Spurs game? Jack, I know you've got a few things you want to talk about. We will get on to Roy's post-match comments because people will be, obviously, I'm sure, keen to hear about that. We might do that in part two with questions. We'll, we will get to it, we promise. Uh, but I know you want to talk about the IU goal and VAR. So let's just get that done. Uh, and then we can talk about Roy's comments in an even slightly more positive note. Uh, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't top of my list. I just wanted to just kind of <laughs> dig into VAR just a bit, to be honest. Not just Palace, but it's just had another terrible weekend. But maybe let's talk about the game a bit more and then we'll come on to the, the VAR. Because my gripe about Palace is just... Um, it completely stole away any momentum that we might have built from scoring when we did. And the game just kind of died out. I know France had the chance, but that, that was my gripe about Palace. But just the state of VAR is, is ruining enjoyment of football, to be honest, in some some ways. You know, you can't really celebrate goals probably. But we, it's stuff that we've said before. But in terms of the goal, oh, the game was was a game of two halves. There you go, Jim. Straight there, straight out. Um, first half, I actually thought we were quite decent. I thought we, um, we were competitive. Um, had... Uh, one very good chance, I could say, but Vicario. Um, we made Spurs look quite average. We didn't give Madison and Son the space that they've they've had the pleasure of in, in other games so far this season. But when the first goal went in, you just sensed that was it. It was game over, to be honest. And um, the second goal comes quite quickly. And then the rest of the game, really, until IU has the uh, the moment that he has, was just incredibly frustrating for, for those in the ground. And I think everyone else that was watching, the, the lack of press... Um, I mean, the stat that Christian Romero completed 1,500 passes or something ridiculous on, on Friday night, and most of them were just between him and the goalkeeper, where uh, a sequence of Odson Edward, then John Philippe Mateta not really putting the press on. But we've talked about that so many times in previous episodes that it's clearly an instruction to keep the shape. And, and to be fair, as soon as we did try and press, Spurs carved through us and scored the second goal. Um, and there were there there were there were exchanges between fans. You know, what do you want? Do you want us to to be that easily carved open? Well, the price is we have to stick to a shape. And with the limitations in in terms of um, of, of player choice, Roy clearly thinks the way forward is is stick as rigidly as um, as he can do. But yeah, it was a disappointing night. Spurs are top of the league. I don't think many Palace fans went to sell us or watch on Friday night expecting us to um, to take the three points. The way the league table looks would suggest that was going to be a, a hard, hard push job to do so. But just there were elements of that second half where it just felt the the lack of competitiveness was just incredibly frustrating. Where, where do you sit, uh, Ruben, on the spectrum of, um, I guess, angry Palace fan after that? We've had quite a few questions from people um, replicating what Jack said there about disappointed at the lack of press and, and really the lack of sort of firepower going forward, which you know has been a, an issue all season. We've got other people like PC Wise who have said, let's be honest, would we have taken that result before kickoff? And then Nick Lloyd 5 has said, with Eze and Elise, do we win that? Apart from a couple of worrying moments, I don't think we've showed Spurs too much respect as we've been guilty of in the past, which is a promising sign. Where do you sit in the sort of spectrum of, of that after that 2-1 defeat? I don't really have the ang- the energy to get that angry about these kind of results or performances because it's nothing new. Um, yes, we didn't press them when they were knocking it about the back, 
And as Jack said, there's an obvious reason why. Um, maybe we would take a slightly more proactive approach without the ball if we had different players in a team. And we're going to come on to Roy's comments uh, a bit later, but like the options at the moment are not great. Um, it's not ideal that Schlupp has to start on the left. It's not ideal that Joel Ward is still our right back. Like all of these things that I've said to you guys before, like everyone's had these discussions. Um, there are good parts of the squad. There are parts of the squad that need upgrading. Um, when the first goal went in, I kind of, even though we played all right in the first half, as Jack said, when the first goal went in, it, it did feel like, and there it is. And then now there's no chance we win this game. That's kind of the most frustrating thing for me is that when we go a goal down um, with the current squad and the current approach, it never really feels like there's any likelihood of us coming back to, to win. Um, but there's a multi, there's a multitude of reasons as to why that is. Um and I, I honestly think like this is kind of it, it's it sounds very pessimistic and defeatist. This is kind of what as much as we can expect from right now. Like over the last ten years since we've been promoted, um, probably barring the Pulis season when we didn't really well, obviously Wilf wasn't there. But like, there's your first Wilf mention, by the way. Um, <laughs> but like, we've we've always relied on um, individual brilliance and like defensive solidity and kind of cohesion and then individual brilliance in attack. And our two best attacking players are both injured. And it, that that's just an unfortunate coincidence. Like if they are both fit, we, we play different football with the ball. We'd probably play different football without the ball. So I feel like that is a very unfortunate um, factor at the moment, which unfortunately, again, it's not saying that word, has the, these knock-on effects of, it just limits what we can do with and without the ball. And uh, hopefully when they both come back uh, before they both leave in January, <laughs> we can play some good football in December. But, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't really have the energy to get angry anymore. It's just to, to use another cliche. It's just is what it is. And hopefully um, it will be different quite soon. The, 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 just the, the point that the room makes there in terms of when the goal goes in, it, the lack of threat going forward, it just, accentuates the precision that the defence have to have to play with every week. And and I watched the goal back earlier. I hadn't watched the highlights back until this afternoon. And I watched I watched the first goal. And it, it, it does come about I thought Sam Johnson passed it straight out of play, but it's actually Mark Gay who knocks it out. But it's Sam Johnson's heavy touch or or lack of speed at getting the ball out of his feet that led to the pressure from James Madison. Mark Gay then just has to kind of sweep it out of play in the hope that he gets to Tyree Mitchell and, and Tyreek couldn't keep it in. But the, the defence have to play with such precision to the point that if they do make a mistake and Spurs take advantage as they did with the, the culmination in the own goal, it's not going to be like that every week. We, it's amazing that we've kept four clean sheets. We're currently second in the Premier League for clean sheets kept. So you can't really lay blame at the defence and, and say that they've not been at it. Joachim Anderson, for me, has been our player of the season so far. And and I thought Rune was going to mention there in terms of our best attacking player. In terms of who's currently available, it's probably Joachim Anderson. You know, another assist for him. <laughs> no, he is just... literally the most creative player on the pitch. Yeah, for us, he now. really is for us. And it's incredible that, you know, the two centre-halves, I, I think currently our, our two best attacking players... Um, in terms of technical ability, getting the ball forward are, are actually our two centre halves. I think it's it's crazy to think like that. But you almost feel bad for Gay and Anderson at the moment, don't you? Like they deserve to be in a in an environment with better players around them. And um, yeah, it's unfortunate. And just to add to your point, sorry to interrupt, Jack. The no, more no, no, no. the more 
pressure that they're under, the longer they have to sustain that, the more frequent the mistakes will become because of, you know, just mental energy and stuff. So like if they got, if they ever got some rest when we actually had a sustained period of attack, then they wouldn't make so they, these seldom mistakes, they don't make many mistakes, but it's just like a matter of being overloaded or a bit of quality from the opposition. Like it's never a glaring clanger, but these slight lapses that lead to goals um, will become more frequent. Just giving the advantage in terms of pitch position, which is what that that mistake from from Johnson to Gay out of play. Spurs have got the ball in a part of the pitch where they didn't have it, and they were so quick. Spurs, and that's what Foster mm-hmm. Coglu's actually got into Spurs. The speed at which they play at the moment is very very impressive, and wow. we saw it better with the second goal. The speed at which they move when the fifty million pound substitute crossed the ball in for the you know hundred <laughs> hundred score hundred goal scoring Premier League uh, legend that is Human Son. So you know we were playing against a very very good team the other night. Um, but when you are playing against uh, an opposition like that, you've got to take the odd chance we you, we create. And, and as I mentioned, Odson Edward had the chance, which was well saved. But speaking of Mark Gay, he then has a, a free header, effectively. I think at one, was it a 1-0? That? I, I can't mm. remember if it's one or, or two. Yeah. And that's a really good chance. And the problem is, as, as we've been saying, you've got to maximise every moment. Every sinew has got to be bang on. And um, and they weren't really on, on Friday. And then the, the fan frustration builds and, you know, you then get fans criticising players for sticking to a clear instruction. No footballer wants to watch a centre-half and a goalkeeper play one-twos for 30 seconds. Like, Watson Edward must be, you know, on the edge there, being like, I've got to go and do something about this. He's the one getting the kind of fan criticism. Um, but that's the instruction. And, and we saw it with Roy and Benteke. Benteke used to get this every week at, mm-hmm. at Selhurst, you know, chase, you know, press, and it just it didn't happen. And... I think the the proof is in the pudding for why Roy and Ray and, and Paddy had instilled that in the team for, for this particular fixture with the ease at which Spurs carved through us for that second goal. But that doesn't legislate for how frustrating it is to watch when you yeah, want your I'd team lot, to be at a table. You know, it's, I'd, be, it's I'd be a lot more concerned if it was happening against opposition at the bottom of the table. So well, the we'll see that in the next few games. Exactly, right? mm. and we'll come on to that because we are now, and I, I said this as we were leaving on, on Friday night, Newcastle getting thumped at Newcastle. Other teams will get thumped at Newcastle this season. Spurs will carve through teams this season as they've done so far this season, and I anticipate they will do between now and the end of the season. Burnley away next weekend. A Burnley away who will be massively under pressure. Sorry, a Burnley who will be massively under pressure after their result of the weekend. A relatively resurgent Everton with a fit Dominic Calvert Lewin up top, and then we go to Luton, who would be approaching the end of November quite possibly without a league win at home. So. You know, you hope that Roy does what Roy does and he, he sees off the teams in and around us in, in the division and wins that mini-league. Um, but the pressure's going to increase. And it's unfortunate when fixtures like this um, kind of run the way they have. Um, just got to hope, as, as Ruben's alluded to, at least one of Michael Alise or Eberich Eze are back because that team looks fairly impotent at the moment and it's a, it's a struggle to see where the goals are coming from. I mean, history. When, when you're sorry, when you're a club like us, it, when you look at the fixture schedule, I had this weird thought earlier. It's like you'd or you'd almost. This is quite a, a Hodgson-esque attitude, actually. But you'd almost <clears throat> Eze, Sorry, you'd almost rather have Eze and Elise injured for games that you're going to lose anyway, mm. and then like have everybody fit for the much more winnable games, just to make sure you get those points. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed. But like in the Spurs game, we had more shots than they did. Yeah, yeah. We had 13 shots at combined XG of 0. 0.6. Um, and their XG was only just above one, but obviously they've just got better quality, so they took their chances. But it's not like we are not... Uh, it's not like we're afraid 
to attack. It's just uh, a combination of maybe low on confidence, not having the perfect player, our, our preferred players, um, and yeah, just the, the the quality of chart of chances that we're creating is quite low. So they may be snatching at shots that mm-hmm. um, that other teams wouldn't snatch at because they think we can carve out a better chance here. But it's like whenever we do go forward, we feel like. Uh, Maybe just shoot, just in case, you know. Yeah, that was going to be my my point as well because I actually thought the Edward Edward did everything right with his chance that Picario saved. It was a very very good save, and Edward has a split second and actually I think catches it quite cleanly and against a weak keeper that probably might sneak in and and we're all sort of talking about Edward being decent in front of guy. He really is fine margins, but I've been going back to your point about the mini lead yet. You're absolutely right, but history does suggest that Roy will get those results and, and see us okay because he has done every single time. And hopefully with uh, with Eze and Elise back, that will obviously give us a boost. But the, the pressing thing is interesting because, yes, Spurs' goals came from that. But but if you look at the front four or front five of Spurs, they have the players to do it. I, I, I wonder if our staff look at our players and think we just, they don't have the players that can play a pressing game. The last time we played anything remotely close to a pressing game was under Vieira when we had Conor Gallagher. Conor Gallagher can press. He has those attributes. I'm not sure many of the players do in our squad. And I just, I wonder if that's why they just don't, they don't risk it. And as Ruben says, we'll make sure we don't get scythed through as, as a result. And Roy talks, if you listen to his uh, press conferences over the last few years, he talks so often about staying in the game. It's all about staying in the game, making sure you're still competitive because then you've got at least a chance of getting something. Uh, and I you think can actually see that in the kind of uh, statistics, like on sofa score, when they have the, uh, the kind of graphs of momentum, like there's like big green lines plus at the end of each half. So you can see that attitude kind of like in maximize, the, in, maximize in the, the time. Yeah. yeah. I thought you said yeah. the Ma- Max Meyer time. I don't know. That's been and gone. No, 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 no. <laughs> and that was about two are, minutes. There are still some Palace fans who probably think he could come and do a job for us. Um, yeah. No, I think for me, Friday night's fixture is one that we probably need to to can because of the absences of, of Michael Elise and, um, and Eberi Chayese. But I gotta say, I never when we signed him, and, and we've been very, very positive about about Will Hughes since he's joined Palace. But seeing him as a f- advanced number ten in parts of that first half, I have to say, I, I was not anticipating we would see Will Hughes, who is technically gifted in in many ways, but players that ten, and the fact he had to play so advanced, it doesn't say much about Will Hughes because you know Roy's chosen to to use him, but it's the lack of options. Um, and I know you know Selzy said post match after the Newcastle game. You'd start Jez or, or Matthias Franza. I don't think you can at the moment, and and we'll come on to them. But in terms of what they showed when they came on, and we'll come on to Roy's comments, it didn't really change the game in in any way you would hope a sub would do. Um, so he, he is stuck between a rock and a hard place, and and we do go back, and we've insisted that we will stop talking about this, but it does fundamentally go back to the lack of summer business. The fact the options are so um, short in supply, the the lack of options when the manager turns around to his bench and. And, and sees very little um, in terms of what he trusts to, to change a game. It, it does go back to that business that, that wasn't done in the summer. Um, and, and we'll come on to Roy's comments about those two players in particular, but you could even throw Ahamada into that. In fact, I think Roy mentions Ahamada as part of it, doesn't he? I think. Yeah, yeah, he does. Um, and Ahamada, I don't, I don't class as the same as, as Raksaki in France, but even he's only got, you know, 30 odd top flight appearances before, um, before Friday night, you know Stuttgart and the, and the fleeting appearances he's had for Palace so far. So, yeah, if he if he's the probably the most experienced option in terms of that front three, it, it doesn't say much. 
Um, also, honestly, isn't he more of a number eight anyway? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're asking him to do a job that he doesn't yeah. really, he hasn't really done. Um, and then you come on to to Jean Philippe Mateta, who Jim is he still? I think he's still top of uh, the three two one chart. So you know, <laughs> I was going to read the I was going to read the listings out later, but yes, he is still top by one. Um, so yeah. You know, we could, we can talk over Friday night as much as as we can, but I think we probably we didn't embarrass ourselves, and I think it was a better performance considerably than the Newcastle one. If we'd repeated Newcastle in terms yeah, of performance, yeah. then that would have been a real concern. But they did fight. We have got quality throughout the core of that team. It's just missing the the sprinkle of class and and excitement and and game changing moments that Michael Elise and and Eberiche as they will bring when they're back. You have to trust they will bring it because they've shown it previously. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we. Yeah, like I agree with Nick Lloyd five. Like I think it would have been competitive with Eze and Lito. Whether we win it or not, I think is up for debate. But I think it would have been, we'd have had a few more flashes going forward, which is I think really at the moment all we're asking for as fans, isn't it? Because we're not, no one's disappointed with the defensive displays, far Newcastle. But um, it's a bit more. Spurs also managed the game very well. And when I say manage, I mean, they deployed some of the kind of dark arts and you guys um, would have noticed it as much as I do. You know, the both centre-halves went down with supposed head injuries in the first half and then were up very, very quickly. And Romero had another one in the second half, which, again, live, it didn't look as though the contact that led to him going down was related to his head. But again, you may have seen different on television. But it, it's it's starting to pose questions, not just, you know, this game, but this, throughout so far this season, you have seen players go down utilising the referee's requirement to stop the game when there are head injuries. And, and Friday night just brought it home a little bit as to seeing how that can be used as fairly manipulative tool in terms of game management. But again, it's, not, it's, an, unfortunate con- it's an unfortunate consequence of like a quite a necessary thing, isn't it? Like, yeah, 100%. Well, those good good things that need to exist like that, people are going to misuse them. But um, yeah, I, I objectively, I kind of look at that and go, well, everyone does it fair play. Obviously, at the time, I found it quite amusing Very when Romero got booed every single time he touched the ball, like immediately afterwards. Um, but yeah, they were very smart. Um, and Spurs are not. Spurs share a few of the same kind of frustrations, right? Where their starting eleven is very good, and their bench is not that deep. Like, yeah. obviously, right? They bring on Brandon Johnson, who they paid a lot of money for. But like, if if their keeper gets injured, their whole system falls apart. If their centre backs get injured, their whole system falls apart. So they're still kind of um, on that same kind of tightrope, where like they're three injuries injuries away from kind of possibly falling down uh, yeah. the table and, uh, and a big drop in form. But when they're on it, they're absolutely brilliant. And um, instead of just say, talking about how underwhelming Palace are, we should probably give them a lot of credit because he's not been there very long and they're already like the most fun to watch in the whole league. Yeah, they're in form. I mean, we played, we played two of the most informed teams in the league in the last two weeks. Um, and two teams who will finish in the top six this season. Yeah, and score tons of goals as, as they have been already. And I don't think I, Newcastle was disappointing, but I think against Spurs we didn't disgrace ourselves. I don't think. Agreed. But that doesn't mean there aren't loads of questions and talking points, which we'll come into onto in part two, uh, including we will get to VAR Jack and Roy's comments. Uh, but we'll take a quick break first and come back with some questions. Sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Uh, Right, very quickly, Jack, we did tease it in part one. 
the VAR. Oh, we've had a question from Ricky B. It's not really on the VAR, but I'll put it to you anyway. Maybe we'll talk around it and, and whatever. But he says, uh, why doesn't Jordan Ayew score more goals? I feel like that's a question that we've asked ourselves many times on this podcast. It was a fantastic strike from Jordan. Cross the keeper. Um, yeah, no keeper stopping that. Absolutely lovely. He does have these moments where you think, oh, he can, he, he can do it. But they are few and far between. Um the VAR call, I know you mentioned in part one, you frustrated the, the the length it took. Uh, before you give your opinion, I just want to. I actually thought, leading up to that moment, and I think I almost include this as well. I actually thought the referee and the VAR officials got most things about right on Friday night. I felt like most decisions were fairly sort of sensible. There was a there was a, there was a soft penalty shout for for Spurs at one point, I think maybe one for us. And I just felt like everything seemed to be ticking along. There was no, nothing I felt particularly angry about everything seemed to be and this is it struck me because this is quite rare done with a sort of dose yeah. of common sense and even when the the iu call comes and 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 they're trying to look for the handball I, I was watching from home and obviously we're seeing more angles than they do in the stadium and you can see them looking at the angles and they're not looking at normally they 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 give the ref one or two they're looking at three or four trying to trying to look at it and i was thinking well it probably it might be handball, but if you can't, you know, after a, a three or four looks at it, determine it's handball, well, then that's probably not enough. It'd be a bit like sort of going to court. And like, if there's not enough evidence to be absolutely 100% sure that someone's committed the crime, then you can't actually legally say they did it, even if you suspect they did. And it's sort of the same thing. Like, it, yeah, there's one angle that looks like it might be handball, but the other two, other two or three, you think, oh, maybe it could be off the chest. You don't know. So I actually think they got to the right decision in the end. But I know that like when you're in the ground... And things always feel like they take longer. Like actually watching at home, you're like, oh yeah, this has taken a bit of a while. But I think in the ground with with nothing going how on, long? nothing on the screen, it probably feels how, like it took yeah, forever. How, how long was it? Two and a half minutes? Three minutes? I don't know. Probably about yeah, that's what I that's what I felt like at the time. Two and a yeah. half, three minutes. But then Rob 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 came on the post match and was like, Well, it's like five, six minute wait. And I was like, Well, I don't think right. it was, but I can I can understand how it feels like that in the stadium. I, I and I, I agree with your point about Andy Madley. I thought he had a, a very decent game, and, and um and there were no real contentious moments during the game. And and the goal itself, from the referee's perspective, wasn't particularly contentious. The Varway actually made me feel sorry for him because he's standing there like a complete muppet, you know, not getting any. I don't know who the VAR was, but getting no real indication. Spurs players run away with the ball, and he's trying to maintain it. And I think referees are instructed to try and maintain players in the positions they are so they don't go off and get tactical advice from the manager but it's very difficult to do that when you're actually waiting for the decision which indicates whether it is a goal or not but it did seem like a long time and what it did in that moment was take away any chance for Palace to really maximise the momentum shift that that goal might have created and that for me is where VAR is really starting to impact impact the game when VAR came in I think the idea was it was going to clarify um, you know clear and obvious errors um, relatively quickly Howard Webb has been um, you know, doing the, doing the media charm offensive since he's come into post and talked regularly about the fact it's meant to be an efficient process. Well, Palaces was one example, but I think the one at, at Dean Court, as I want to call it, although it's not called that anymore, is it? What's it called? It hasn't been called that for years. Insert sponsor here, whatever it's called. That one, took, I think, that one did take six or seven minutes, I understand, because they got the lines in the wrong place. So they had to start the process all over again. And, you know, when you're actually getting process-based errors being made, not even related to the decision, it's really starting to question the the kind of integrity and, and impact it's having on the game. And then you get decisions. The one that really annoyed me this weekend, I have no affiliation with Wolverhampton Wanderers, but the, the fact that VAR did not, or the VAR did not overturn 
the decision, the on-field decision Anthony Taylor made in terms of that being a penalty, and, and the VAR saying, sorry, Anthony, that's that's wrong. And the fact that Newcastle then scored from a penalty that never was. I don't think anyone who's ever watched or played football that thinks that's a penalty. But you can understand why Anthony Taylor gave it, given the, the speed at which the game is played at. But what is the point of VAR if clear and obvious errors aren't even going to be rectified? I, I just found this weekend pushing me along the feeling that VAR is, is really getting in the way of enjoying watching football, whether it's in the ground or, or live, and is actually impacting um, the experience of going to football, which I, yeah, which I actually value more than Palace winning or losing or whatever. I, I love going to football matches, and I, I just wonder what the <laughs> where this is all going to end. And I, I think with them taking longer and longer, I think we will find ourselves at a point of following American sports where it's going to be utilised for a commercial break or something like that. Because if you are having periods of three to six minutes of decisions being reviewed, then why wouldn't TV companies look to maximise the the money making opportunity there? But sorry, I've said maximise about fifteen times in this podcast so far. Sorry, listener. But yeah, I'd like to get your opinion on it because it's it's just frustrating me over the weekend, and yeah, it shouldn't do, but it, it did this weekend. Yeah, it's really fucking boring, isn't it? That's the main yeah. problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, look, I th- I feel like I've said this in a few different um, phrasings to you before, but. The, the whole problem was that it was kind of sold, accident, possibly accidentally sold and advertised as like, oh, well, there'll be no more mistakes. Don't worry. But because we have this idea of VAR being a robot in our head. Apologies if you just heard my flat doorbell. And it's like there's still people looking at replays. They're looking at the same replays as us. Sometimes you'll watch a game with a friend on the TV, right? And a, a VAR replay will come up and you'll still disagree over the decision, possibly because you have a vested interest in the game, possibly because football is fast and random and difficult to uh, to officiate. In this instance, in the IU one, I think that it was 95% sure that was handball, right? So I wouldn't have been that annoyed had it been disallowed, it, but it's the length of time it takes to then give it anyway. And yeah, it, it, it spoils the momentum and obviously that kind of... That's very frustrating for us in this moment. And it happens to lots of teams all the time. So if if the kind of frequency of error is not marginal, is not drastically improved, then what's the point? Like I, I I was never really in favor of it anyway, but like the whole relentless discourse around refereeing decisions and hyper scrutiny of them on TV has led to this culture where we had to bring it in. I personally, and I realize that not a lot of people do actually feel like this, but I personally would rather have stuck with the referee's decision is referee's decision, and it will probably all come out in a wash. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I that's how I felt. It's a very like it's the sort of thing that my mum would say. But yeah. it, it like if there's still going to be mistakes, then why spoil the flow of the spectacle and stuff? But it's because it's because of the super high profile games, right? Like, I don't know. Um, like yesterday, Manchester derby. Yeah. Like like that that one, they they don't want to make decisions that are good, or they don't want to make wrong decisions in a game like that that is brought around the world. I mean, Palace Spurs had a decent and could decide a title. They don't want the embarrassment of a major cock up by an on field referee to to you know direct where the title's going or possibly even relegation. But even that city, even that city penalty, like I. I people still disagree over it, right? Like a, a lot of a lot of my friends who I spoke to about it will say. 
that's really soft. And I'll say it is soft. It's also a foul. And personally, yeah. I kind of think more of those should be given yeah, and defenders yeah. may then stop doing it. So it just removes the... Well, it doesn't remove anything. It just pushes the kind of the same problem a little bit further along to somebody else in a different room who's got a bit more time to make that decision. Um, but ultimately, I don't think football's benefited from it at all. But you know. I, th- I, no. I always... Sorry, Jim. I, I always gauge where kind of VAR is in the in the public discourse by Dermot Gallagher's performance on a Monday morning on Sky Sports News, and today he looked completely shot of confidence. And Stephen Warnock and Sue Smith just gave him like full value of like what is going on, Dermot, as if Dermot Gallagher, who retired, I don't know, twenty years ago, is <laughs> the spokesman for for the current status of of refereeing in this country, but typically he will defend it. But for example, the Wolves once they went, yeah, that's a complete cock up. I can't believe that was one of my favorite. um, One of my favorite VAR media moments this season was after the um, Liverpool Tottenham uh, huge mistake, which they then due to protocol couldn't correct, even though at least one of them realized what had gone wrong. Yeah. Um, And Mike Dean was defending the, the referees like, as you'd kind of expect him to do, like, <laughs> they're following protocol, these are the laws, in the moment, they just want to follow the laws kind of thing. And Paul Merson was making the point of, like, well, pull it well, pull it back, because common sense, like, clearly, this is too big to let go. Um, and then Mike Dean was saying, laws, 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 and he was like, oh, laws, no one's going to die. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> but he's right, it's like, oh, if you have to break one rule to, you know, reinstate another, then fine. God, but, um, if Paul Merson's becoming the voice of reason on this, then I really think we have reached a, a point of no return. I do <laughs> I do think, um, I do think that on some level, we as sports viewers and football fans need someone to moan at. So I think in the past when referees made the mistakes and there was no proof they didn't or not, we could happily moan at them, knowing we might be right, we might be wrong, but hey, no one knows, so we can just go on moaning at them. Now we've got decisions that most of the time vindicate referees. We still want to moan at them, and so we really nitpick the ones that are borderline or the ones that are very wrong, like the Liverpool Spurs game, because we need to moan at refs. Because we can't moan at refs, we're going to end up moaning, moaning at the players, which we do anyway, or the managers. Who's left? Ourselves? I think we just, as a, as a nation, we need to moan at someone. So I, I kind of agree, Ruben. Maybe we just go back to the old days because it wasn't... I mean, actually, what you said there, Jack, about it takes away from the enjoyment of the game. I 100% agree, it really does. But I think a, a referee would argue, we're not here for your enjoyment. We're, we're here to try and get the right decisions. And and they're not... Even though football is an entertainment industry, obviously, they're. I don't think referees see themselves as entertainers. They They want to... Although that would be a great spin-off, wouldn't it? Um, but they they want to. They don't care about that. They want to get the right decision. And I don't believe any referee intentionally makes the wrong decision. I think they are. They are. These are, for want of a better phrase, these are anal guys that want to make the right decisions. Okay, the, there's another spin-off there. The anal guys. That's, that's <laughs> I couldn't think of a better way to say it. Ridiculous. I don't know. There's, there's probably better. better words. I, 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 they are I a certain actually... type of person, aren't they? Like a lot of them, like yeah. kind of. They're, a lot of them have come from careers in which there is another level like police or teaching or there's like a kind of authority thing there and as much as I like to moan at them and kind of you know uh take the piss out of them for being um failed footballers who maybe got bullied at school um it's a really difficult job and I'd never want to do it for all the reasons that we've kind of just outlined Ruben we all know those guys go on podcasts 
We all know that's. I was about to say, I'm the third footballer and I'm brilliant at school. So. <laughs> and here we are. At least, at least you're not a referee. <laughs> Sorry, we, we went we went down like went we went broader than Palace there, but I just feel like it is starting to really impact the, the Premier League, and we all watch more games than just Palace, and it's just starting to become quite frustrating. But yeah, in, in reference to Palace, I just felt the momentum we could have built for the final, whatever it was, was completely taken away from us because the whole Spurs team went over to the bench and had three or four coaches explaining to them where they were going to then, you know, going to play. Because football is now playing so meticulously that Spurs would have known yeah. what the instructions they were going to give. It should Palace have scored in that in the last six minutes of injury time. But anyway, sorry, enough. I'm, I mean, I'll, 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 to be I'm, honest. I feel better. Sorry, listener. And if you fast-forwarded through that, I fully understand why. It's not... I found that as an interesting chat about sort of the wider aspect of it. It's not like, though if that goal had been given 30 seconds into it, that Jordan Ayew was going to start running in front of the homes, they teeing them up. And if there's any player that was just going to trot back looking depressed, it was it was Jordan Ayew. But anyway. Goal, we, we should probably, let's be a bit positive because this has been quite a down pod so far. Fantastic goal. Even if, he, goal. even if he did yeah. use his hand to to control it. And I'm, I'm with Ruben. I was quite surprised when I saw it back that it hadn't been overturned. But fantastic finish. And um, yeah, his first of the season, I think. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. good for him. So his one, he's done. He's done his one for the year. See you again <laughs> next year, Jordan. Um, li- now, we were supposed to uh, rattle through that, weren't we? But hey, that's podcast. Um, lots of questions about Roy's comments post-match about Franza and uh, Jez Raksaki not having the impact we'd have hoped for, which we mentioned in part one, which I don't think is an unfair appraisal. Uh, but I think uh, the way that Roy said it in his post-match has um, got people's backs up. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to play the full audio of that from the post-match press conference, because I believe, I said this to Rob on the post-match pod, that context is important because it's very easy. And, and literally, as Rob and I were podding, the, the quotes are being tweeted out. And of course, there are only a few characters. And it's very easy to take things in isolation and apply your own emotions to them, uh, which might be different from the person literally saying them. So anyway, this is the full transcript of Roy in a post-match talking about those players. Uh, and we'll come back after this. Yep. <laughs> but it, it obviously gave them a chance to relax a little bit more and to deal a bit better with the with the pressure that I thought we'd able to exert on them in the first half. I thought it was a an aggressive and, and quite controlled first half from our side. But of course the first goal which then produces a second and then it was very difficult and that's when we start putting players on the field, you know, we people have not really played in the first team, Jez, Amma, Franca, uh, we lost that sort of intensity that we'd able were able to do in the in the first half, and in the end, it became easy for them to see the game through. Well, I thought that at half time we realised that we'd, we'd done well against them in the first half. I think you know, they, they, they found it very, very difficult to find a way through us, and in actual fact, we were harassing them and, and making life uncomfortable for them. And we knew that our job was to do exactly the same in the second half, because if we weren't able to do exactly the same in the second half, they might with the quality they have and, as you say, the momentum and confidence they have, start to relax a little bit more and, and pass the ball around a bit more freely than we'd allowed them to do in the in the first half. And so goals, unfortunately, do that in matches. Um, and we mounted a, a little flurry at the end and, and showed that we, we, we hadn't given up and that we still wanted it. But unfortunately, the, the goal even the first goal 
meant that what had given me so much encouragement to believe we're going to get a result from this game, it dissipated after that goal. Really, if, if, if the game had ended with us continuing as we'd done in the first half and giving exactly the same performance and coming away with a, with a result in the game, even a draw, I'd be sitting here really, really pleased with, with what I've seen. So, no, there was no disappointment today. Maybe that the young substitutes that you know we we'd like to think we can believe in and will help us to a different level didn't didn't show that you know they didn't do anything for us at all really we became much weaker when I made the substitutions but unfortunately uh, sometimes when the game is drifting away from you at two goals to nil one is tempted to do that. Uh, partly because we need to see these players as well. We need to really see if they are going to be able to, to help us out. But we, we certainly didn't get any help today. But we got a lot of help from the first first group of players in the first half. I thought they were very good. Well, that would be a bit different when, you know, we, if I was to bring on defenders, it wouldn't be the case because we have defenders who are tried and tested. And, and we have two players who at the end of last season, I thought, were were really two of our star players and in, in fact so much so that one got himself in the England squad and the other one is knocking on the door of the French squad. We still haven't got those back yet. When they come back they'll, they'll improve us and give us not only more experience, they'll give us you know, the quality that those two will bring to the team. But at the moment we don't have them and so we are therefore a little bit reliant uh, on the bench in terms of our attacking play on the players that have been brought into the club who as yet are tried and untested and this was a tough game for them to go into. Well, they need more time. I mean, the fact is, Frank, I feel sorry for Frank because, I mean, the fact is, for some reason, people have, you know, tried to imbue him with qualities that we can't expect to see from him. You know, he's 19 years of age. He's got a handful of games in Brazil behind him and now we're asking him to go out and play against Tottenham Hotspur. You know, the team that's running away at the top of the Premier League at the moment. You know, the, the intensity, the strength, the power, everything, that's something we're going to have to work on and, and, and build up. There's no doubt that like so many young players, and Jez is another very good example, there's plenty of talent there. Um, and Jez, fortunately, I think he, he he's a little bit further forward than some of the other ones you might mention because he, he has got a couple of games behind his belt and he, he is learning and he's learning on the job. But the major job for us is to keep working with these players in training and keep making certain they understand what they need to understand in terms of our attacking and our defending. And most importantly, they need to understand how intensive and, and physical this, this league is. You know, you, you've really got to do a lot of running and you've got to be quite strong. And you've got to be prepared to withstand challenges and make challenges because it's not going to be a game where you can drift around and enjoy a spell on the ball, people don't give you time to have a spell on the ball. You've got to earn it somehow. And certainly I thought we did that very well in the first half. I thought that we, we earned our spells on the ball very well and we earned it by hard work, I would say good organisation and good team structure and certainly players who had the discipline and the desire to, and aggression even to show Tottenham, yeah, we, we know you're a good team and we know you've got very good players, but we're not going to just allow you to come here and do what you like with us. Well, there you go. That was that was Roy. Um, we've had quite a few questions from people on this, including from Paul HS, Chris Sturk, Charlie Dodds, Anna Mondrell, and someone who calls themselves, I got Franza in low places. 
Anyone? Oh anyone want to know? I have no idea what that means. Anybody? Depends no. on this weekend's result. Depending on what we do at Burnley, we might have a half an episode on explaining what that means, to be honest. If we don't want to talk about the result this weekend. Okay. They, they I feel like it's a, it's a Gen, Gen Z thing. Um, so if anyone... Well, you're both younger than me. Wants Sorry, to explain I can't it. help you. Do, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but they're, they're all asking the same thing, which is that they feel like the comments were unfair on the young players. Um, that is it an indication that Roy is frustrated with recruitment, that maybe it's wants to leave, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of people, Ruben, um, get, getting offended on behalf of those young players. Uh, and I do understand why, because in isolation, and even when you listen to the, the, the full press, although I do think Roy's comments later on do give it a l- lot more context, you can understand why people find that a bit frustrating. We don't know what he said to those players in private. It might be something completely different. It might have even spoken to them before he went out to the press conference and said the same thing. You can understand why people are getting annoyed about it, but are people getting a bit too annoyed about it? Yeah, um, to both of those questions. I, I think it's fans never like to see the manager throw players under the bus or what they perceive to be throwing players under the bus, especially young players. But I think a lot of fans who um, are annoyed at those comments, understandably so, is because they've seen them written down and not in kind of the context of the presser and the delivery and everything that we've kind of just explained. Um, but also, they, I think they, they, they agree with Roy without realising that they agree with Roy. It's like, don't throw the players on the bus. What do you expect? But you can't expect too much of these players. But that's also what Roy is saying. Yeah. Is like, look. This kid, this kid is 19. I don't think, personally, I know this is kind of intangible, maybe meaningless. I don't think it helps that France have got given the number 11 shirt in terms yeah. of the hype, in terms of the hype machine. Um, and also, I feel like a lot of Palace fans are putting way too much expectation on him because he's Brazilian. But um, <laughs> it's like, oh, he must be good, you know. Uh, but understandably so. I got excited about that signing. Um, the club made a big deal out of it and, the, and everything. And Raksaki should not be uh the guy who we expect to come on and, and win a game against against a big team he should be the guy who comes on for elise for 15 minutes and then maybe 20 minutes and then maybe gets a couple of starts when uh, and you know gradually is is blooded into the team as most young players should be so i think people don't want to hear that sort of thing even though they know it's true maybe because they feel like it's unhelpful and the players might not react to it well um because when i saw them written down before i'd seen them in video form um, my Spurs mate asked me what I thought, and I said, "Well, he's he's not wrong, but like maybe don't say it." Yeah. Um, but now, in full context, I'm like, actually, yeah, do say it because it's important to contextualise the result. Like we lost two one to Spurs with Jeffrey Schlupp playing left wing, completing one pass all game. I think. Um, <laughs> oh God! Like two, two, I think. Really. Two. Okay. Oh, fuck. Give Sorry, him credit. Hundred percent. Hundred percent more. <laughs> yeah, but like it's he is just being honest, and he always has been, and. Yeah, like the we didn't sign as many players as maybe we'd want to in the summer, and there are reasons for that in terms of like long term sustainability and you know just the fact we spent a lot of money a couple of years ago and we're kind of like paying for it now with a little bit uh, more quieter windows and stuff. But at the same time, I think Roy should be allowed to say that kind of thing. Like there's there is a reason why we're maybe underperforming at the moment, and it's because we don't have. The players that we want to have at our disposal you can't expect these kids it sounded more critical than i think he intended it to be that's what, that's what i i agree and i do think jack there is a, there is more context to this if you i watched roy's post-match bit with sky sports so before the presser they go and do the sort of one-on-one thing 
And he just looks so fed up with post-match questions in general. And in fact, he was quite like, well, I don't know how to answer that question. Like, he just, and I can understand after 50 years in the game, being asked the same questions every week, you probably are a bit like, what, you know, what do you want me to say? And I think you, after a while, probably think, well, they just want me to give a sound bite. Like, they're not actually interested in what I think about, think about the game. I think he finds a lot of the media really quite sort of tiresome. And I do think as well, there is a slight element that he maybe doesn't, really get Twitter or want to get Twitter or maybe understand that quotes will be taken in isolation and, and, and tweeted out. I think, and... I think that's exactly it, Jim. I think you've absolutely nailed it. I, I actually think the, the Emma Saunders interview, which he gave after the guy, I had several texts from non-Palace board mates being like, he's been a bit tough on the interviewer there. And I've seen it back and it's not a great look. He's very tired, grumpy at the result and, and doesn't really give, I think it's Emma Saunders, the, the time and... Um, yeah, probably the, the manner of his answers were probably a bit short with her. But in terms of the press conference, which got a lot more comments, for me, having now heard the press conference, and you sent it through earlier today, I'd only heard it today, it, for me, is man who's given press conferences for the past 45 years versus modern way of how fans consume press conference uh, information or quotes given by the manager. Roy is not thinking that quotes would be appearing in 140 characters or whatever X or Twitter now gives you stanzas as we consume them. I can I, I consume those quotes waiting for my train at Nor Junction. I didn't listen to Roy's full context as, as you've just played out. And I hope most listeners are now thinking, oh, actually, as Ruben says, those comments are not as inflammatory as perhaps they appear in the written word when they are and it's no journalist problem, no, no journalist fault. That's how journalism now is. Yeah. But for them to be um, kind of isolated as they are when they're kind of grabbed the way they are nowadays, they did look bad. I'm with Ruben. I thought he's not necessarily wrong. I didn't think Raksaki or Franza had particularly good impact on the game. I thought Ahamada was fairly anonymous and, and JP was not very good either. So I didn't disagree with the the kind of uh, rationale behind the, the the statements that he made. My feeling was, particularly in light of the comments that he made against Newcastle, which I think a lot of Palace fans gave him a pass for because it had been such a terrible performance, did they need saying out loud at all? But actually, how now, now having listened to the full press conference or that particular section, I don't think they're anywhere near as harsh as, as maybe we all felt they were at, at 11 o'clock on a Friday night. It's also very late for us as fans, probably four or five pints in. <laughs> it's like this weird, awkward truth where we, we all know everybody whether they are angry or not all kind of understand that what he said is true it's yeah. just whether we think it's helpful to say it because of well especially the fact that it's about young players and it's like well if you tank the confidence of your bench then that's not going to help anyone so yeah. i think it's more about i don't think anyone fundamentally really disagrees with the um the content of his answers it's 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 about the kind of consequences and the pr side of it yeah, and I, I I am somewhat recycling a, a point I made last week, and apologies for doing this, but I, I do think sometimes fans, including myself, sometimes think everyone consumes as much social media or as much football media as we do as football fans. It's quite possible that Jez Raksaki and Matthias Fanser, for a second week running, have no idea that those comments were made. And what is far more pertinent to their development and momentum is the advice and guidance that you'd anticipate Roy is providing them day in, day out on the training ground. So... I think it's right for fans in the way that we um, all received that information on Friday night to have been a bit put out by those comments. They didn't read well. They did look quite bad. 
But actually now, a few days later, the dust has settled and, and Jim, you've just given us the full context. I don't think they sound anywhere near as bad. And I don't think Roy comes out of those comments looking the dinosaur that some fans were suggesting he was on Friday night. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a lesson in, in all of us and how to sort of consume football information. And I think also it maybe sometimes gives people who don't like Roy a bit of ammunition. Um, but that is football, and I'm sure Roy's aware of that after a long time in the game um, as well. But I hope that that has helped give people a bit of context um, with, with that. Um, and I'm sure that Roy will get asked about that in his pre-Burnley press conference, so there'll probably be a bit more follow-on from that. Um, but I think for now, it's probably a good place for us to wrap that up. That's probably the end of questions this week. I apologise to everyone else. Lots more questions on other subjects, but I don't think we're going to have time to get through them. But um, keep sending them in each week, please do, and we'll... Uh, if Burnley's really boring next week, then uh, we'll, we'll try and answer some of them. Um, instead, instead of that, we're going to take a break and come back with the latest round of three, two, one. Welcome back to the Fire Pad Podcast. We um it's part three which is three two one uh oh, i should say we're sponsored by green king's sport of course uh where football is more than a game uh right three two one if this is the first time you listen to this where have you been we're about seven weeks into this new feature now um what we do is we take three players who impressed in the last game or last week if there's more than one game uh and then between the three of us we give them uh one of them three points, one of them two points, one of them one point. At the end of the season, we'll top them all up, and whoever's got the most points will get a very cheap FYP Player of the Year award that I will probably get off eBay. Uh, going into this week's scores, the current standings are in joint second with four points, Joachim Anderson, Odson Edward, and Mark Gahey, and still in the lead with five points, Jean-Philippe Mateta. And yes, I'm as confused about that as you guys are. Um, but hey, there's a long way to go this season. So we'll see. Jack, maybe today is the day that Mateta gets overtaken in the rankings. Who feel, are you putting forward? I'm very relieved you came to me first because there aren't many. But I don't know if Ruben's played this joyous game before. So I was actually going to defer to Ruben if he wanted first dibs on. on Have you done 3-2-1 yet, Ruben? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, well, then I don't feel so bad. Jordan, are you? <laughs> 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 was going to be my vote as well. We do have to find uh, three players. Um, anyone else, Ruben? Anyone else? Uh, let's let's just throw Joachim Anderson out there because uh, you know he always plays quite well. Um, he got a seven point one on Sofa Score, which is higher than the rest of the defenders. Like, I, if when you when you have so little of the ball, it's very difficult to actually kind of highlight any kind of particularly good performances so apologies for just reverting to the data but yeah i'll just i'll go anderson because uh he yeah he was fine well got on it and got an assist such a low bar isn't it? <laughs> it's it's a low bar this week can i just say about joker Anderson and mark gay because you know again we, we've been quite negative this week and understandably so but watching them in the first half against a very decent spurs team who move very quickly when they're in the final third those two are so well. In fact, the whole back four played a very good first half, and it, you know, kind of fell away in the second half with the own goal, and then Tyreek went off. But in the first half, they were very, very well drilled. And um, despite the result, you have to remind yourself that we've got some incredibly talented players, particularly in that part of the pitch. I, I don't think Czech Decore and Jefferson Lerma are quite at it at the moment. I wonder if they're both 
maybe didn't get the rest they both needed after their their recent injuries. But in terms of the defence, the first half they were very decent and then they held a a very good Spurs team, as we talked about, at bay quite easily. Spurs didn't cause us many problems in that first half, and that was all to do with the organisation that Anderson and, and, and Gay in particular both had. And, and Anderson and Ward, despite Wardy being, you know, 34 now, I think many happy returns for, for the weekend, Joel, but Anderson talks through the game with, with Joel Ward. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny, because I, I think you're the only person on the pod that would know that information. Oh, they clubbed in a big instant post yesterday. Oh, did they? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I like the way you tried it in. Like it probably wasn't the first time you wished Joel Ward a happy birthday this week. I'm sure on various platforms, you've blocked, fully, fully blocked now on all social medias, Joel. <laughs> um, but no, Joe Manson is you know Mark Gay is excellent and and he will go for very very big money eventually. But Joe Manson is is very impressive and, and and had a good good game on 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 uh, Friday as you can in a two one defeat and and yeah got another assist and. Um, is that he's probably top of the charts in terms of assists now with the uh, the absence of of Ebsen and Michael Lisa yet to play a minute so far this season. So yeah, that 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 is a good shout actually. It's there's more than John Ayu. My, I mean, I thought Ayu was our was our best player. Um, I think he's probably down for the three. I, I was going to suggest Mark Gahey, who again thought did well, but does he lose marks for being involved in giving the ball away for the first goal? I don't think that was really his fault. I thought that was, that was Sam Johnson really made quite a, a rook there and, and didn't really give Gay any chance. I think Gay did well just to kind of get it away from the penalty area, to be honest. And again, he had another one. My, my criticism of, of Mark Gay on Friday night, um, and you, you both watched it on, on TV, and I've, I've only seen it once back quickly, but that chance did strike me as a very good chance. You'd hope uh, a player in the Premier League would release hit the target, and he looked frustrated with that. So that my, my criticism of Mark Gay on on Friday night is probably unfairly his um, his lack of clinical fish finishing in the opposition box. I mean that uh, that that's a, that's a fair point, and it was a good chance for a lack of any other options. <laughs> really, <laughs> no, no, he had a good game. He did have a good I game. I think we might have to stick him in still. Um, I do think looking at this table towards the end of the season, Gay and Anderson are probably going to be battling it out for for the award. Um, shall we go with those three then, Gay, Anderson, and and Jordan? Yeah. Yeah, a rather quick three, two, one this week. Probably it's going to be a quick one. one. Well, as, as Ruben said, the, the the bar is quite low this week. I think um, A U for the three. I think that's probably fair. It was a good goal. His first goal of the season. He does keep on going, but he wasn't particularly threatening. But yeah, probably for the goal, the quality of the goal, even if he did control it with a glove. <laughs> Anderson for the two. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, fair. And Mark for the one. Well, Jack, you'd be delighted that that puts Joachim Anderson off of the board. <laughs> I'm not delighted. I just feel like the integrity of the podcast has probably improved that Jean-Philippe Matet is not top of our ongoing player of the season ranking. But uh, yeah, well, fair enough. I think Joachim Anderson has been our best player so far this season. So perhaps reflective of uh, the season so far. That puts him on six. Um, Mark's on five. Are you might actually be up there. I don't have to. I've only got the top five uh, listed. I'll... Confirm uh, in uh, the how next was JP, Tom? Plymouth. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, and the 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 back and assist the as a Wolves. Yeah. yeah, two two good weeks. I think yeah. that might be it. Yeah, yeah. he's, he's it's, done well. Yeah, uh, no, I, no, I, it's I, an interesting feature. It's been an interesting feature so I like, far. I like it. I like it. It's um, 
it's probably more enjoyable to listen to, I hope, than winners and losers because we were scrabbling around for losers off the last season. Well, it was yeah. always every week. Yeah, it Jeffrey was Jeffrey Schlupp. Jeffrey was a hot loser every week, and it just didn't seem very fair. So I think it's nicer to be. Uh, this to be... is this is why I feel so bad when we have to talk about how badly we've played and like criticise players. I love Jeffrey Schlupp. He just shouldn't be having to start for us in 2023. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I completely agree. And actually, he, we know he's got. He has qualities that, that yeah, are good for those, the team. Yeah, yeah and, and they, they, they're quite specific, and maybe they were a bit more prominent a couple of years ago. Um, but, yeah, it's just one of those, it's, I feel bad having to say what we see, but that is what we see, unfortunately. Well, what I would say, despite Spurs fans telling us how bloody brilliant they are, there was only one Premier League winner on the pitch on Friday night, and that man's name was Jeffrey Schlupp. So, <laughs> you know, you can have that one, Spurs. Uh, Jordan is joint second. Jordan is joined second on five, Anderson's top with six, and Gay on five as well. We're starting to take a bit of shape now. Starting a bit of shape, take a shape. Just a quick mention about Matthäus Franzer, who hopefully will feature in a 3 2 one in the not-too-distant future. The, the way that we talked about, you know, Spurs being quite convincing, he was a shank away from what would have been quite a momentous moment in under the lights of Sellhurst, and... It just, but I never thought he was going to score that one when it came over to him. I just never thought that was going to be the case. But I wonder if a from... more a more confident player would have maybe even taken a touch and let the defender sort of fly by less, him, and then but less rusty one. He just yeah. looks like a player who's barely played any football. As Roy said, exactly. Yeah. So I think uh, hopefully more will come from him, but uh, it is it is early doors. Um, it's not in the pod though. It's late doors. Is that the opposite of early doors? Um, we're going to wrap up three, two, one there. Uh, well done to uh, Joa, who is top of the list. Um, after the break, we're going to preview a very big game at the weekend. It's a trip to Burnley. Welcome back to the Five Pound Podcast. Wee. Sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Uh, let's hope this weekend's result is not more than a game, Jack. That doesn't really work as a link, does it? Um, it's away at Burnley. We were just off air now looking at Burnley's results. Uh, one win this season, which was, uh, at Luton. Uh, one draw at Forest. Uh, I believe the rest are defeats, including, uh, 3-0 away at Brentford recently, 4-1 at home to Chelsea. Um, they're not... Quite. I mean, they did very well in the league last year in the Championship. They're not quite. Haven't transformed that that style of play and that form into the Premier League as of yet, have they? I think there were many people's tip for kind of dark horses this season. It just hasn't really happened, as you say. Really bad result for them at the weekend, losing at Bournemouth, having been a goal ahead. Um, so that that'll be really disappointing. And Vincent Complete cut a very dejected figure in his post match interview. I think he's been trying to keep the uh, the positivity around, but that result. Will have will have hurt because yeah, Bournemouth have been very poor, lacking confidence this season. They fancied their chances of going there and at least holding on for that point. But yeah, Bournemouth um, saw them off. So yeah, you know you talk about games like that though. But the, immediately, as, as any Palace fan listening to this will think, the pressure's on us to then go. And, you know, I'm going to say it again, maximise the opportunity. And 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 go right, yeah. Okay, look, okay, fine. I'll Sorry. make it the title of this week's pod. You're no, no, so desperate for us to do that. No, no, it's fine. It's happening. It's happening. It's going to change the Green King slogan. That's what I'm trying to do. Or something. Maximise <laughs> the game. Or something. I don't know. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's a chance for us to to bounce back from two disappointing results. And and as we talked about in the first part, the performance against Spurs was not as bad as the Newcastle performance. So hopefully that that um, 
trajectory continues and, and we see it, but it's just where do the goals come from? I know there was rumours that Michael Lise might have been back for the Spurs game, so I don't know if there's any chances that he'll be back for the, the Burnley game, but he hasn't had any minutes at all. I um, don't know if there's a, a 23 game this weekend or this week that he might be able to, to get minutes in, but that would be a boost, but you wouldn't expect him to be able to hit the ground running as, as quickly. But yeah, Burnley are struggling this season. Their goal difference is shocking. They're only on four points. Um, and they'll, they're fresh off the back of probably, although not scoreline-wise, probably the worst result of the season so far because I hope they'd have had before going to Dean Court again. You can have Dean Court. I went to it when it was Dean Court long, was, long time ago. When they did have a stand at one of the when they had a car park. Yeah, they were League One, I think, at the, at yeah, the time. Yeah. So long, long, long time ago. Yeah, um, Ruben, this is going to be a game without, you know, it's very early on in the season. I'm not going to call it a six-pointer, but, but this is a game that Palace will clearly be targeting a result from given their form and given our our recent displays as well so I think probably coming away from it with anything well certainly with anything less than a draw but maybe all three points might possibly be seen as a bit of a disappointment yeah imagine we lose Jesus what's Roy going to say then is <laughs> uh, yeah, we slagging up all the players yeah, the the expectation for this one is high and understandably so. Um, Burnley are a, they're a strange team. This happens fairly often um, with teams who go up. It used to happen with Norwich quite like every two years. Teams go up playing uh, possession football, um, and that's kind of a reductive term for you know. It, it, you know, every team plays slightly differently, but they dominate other teams. They they zip it about. You know, company kind of comes from a Pep Guardiola school of of coaching, having played under him, and it's clearly what he wants to do. Um, they're tenth in the table for possession, but in the bottom two for expected goals. So you, that kind of sums up the problems that they're facing, which is. Um, they have a distinct style. They're clearly well coached, but kind of in both boxes, uh, having come up a league to a much higher level of quality of opposition, um, things don't go quite as well. So they are, I think, like if Burnley went down and it's not a disaster for them, they're kind of, I feel like all the promoted teams have this attitude this season of like, well, let's not spend loads of money hoping to stay up. Let's go down, take the parachute payment, kind of rebuild, go back up kind of thing. So for them, I guess it's a six-pointer. Um, but like they'll be looking at this uh, game and thinking we should be getting a result. You know, yeah. Burnley should be getting a result against us because of the injuries that we've got, because of the form that we're in. So it should be quite an even battle. Um, we, it's it's going to be a little bit strange going to Turf Moor and having less of the ball and playing like the underdog. But um, due to the kind of you know distinct styles of of each team, that is probably what's going to happen. But hopefully. Um, as we have had to do this season a little bit, we can rely on our two brilliant centre backs to pop up with a goal <laughs> and uh, take all. It points. does. It does feel like it's got sort of one nil Gahey written all over it, actually, which I definitely take Jack. Was mm. the um, was the scene of Mark Gahey's first goal in a Palace shirt? So quite possibly. Well, there you we'd go. We'd love him to be that. Last time we we're there was the three uh, three. I think three to a half time and only one goal in the second half. Um, and I think was the the match in which Christian Benteke scored his last two league goals. And here we are, two years later, still talking about what job he could do for us. So, yeah. <laughs> it's good, good times, eh? <laughs> We're at Crystal Palace. We are the team that never moves on. No, why should we? Turfmore's been an interesting one since uh, since we came up, is it? The Dwight Gale game, you just reminded me of Wilf's chop, chop, chop goal. Yeah. Um, the last Frank de Boer match. So there, there have been some memorable moments there. I just, I really hope this Saturday isn't a memorable one in the nicest possible way that we just get a really crap one nil 
and yeah. Broy can just revel in it in the post-match. He just absolutely sit there and not say anything, just stare out the journey. I mean, the, the, the narrative lovers of us here, surely it's leaning towards like a Raksaki last-minute winner coming off the bench or a Franca goal. Franca and Raksaki combine. And then Roy has to talk about how great they are in the post-match. Surely that's what the footballing gods are going to give us. They still wouldn't have tracked back quick enough or something like that. There still would have been an issue just before. Possibly, possibly. And against what is effectively, as Ruben kind of alludes to, still a championship team. Well, a lot of us, myself included, think Jez would be best suited to playing a a season in championship football. So this this could be a test for him and, and another week's training for, for Matthias Franzer and, and hopefully he looks a bit sharper if he if he's called upon from the bench. But yeah, you are relying on, on Odds and Edward, Jordan Ayu, probably Jeffrey Schlupp again from the start, which yeah, this does beg a belief. Um but yeah, you're you're hoping that between the three of them they can they can find an opportunity and, and maybe Odds and Edward finds his fifth of the season after a good start to the season. He's dried up a little bit, but yeah. I'll take that right now. They probably will feature Ruben, I'd imagine, um, purely sort of due to lack of any other options. It probably will be the same sort of team, I'd imagine. I don't think I'm with Jack, and it'd be lovely to see Eze or Elise. I don't think that they are on schedule to feature, so it'll probably be much more of the same. Yeah, I think if either of them had a chance of playing, then we'd probably have heard uh, some some more updates about their progress. Um, so that's a shame. Um, and I, I'd like to see, I know we've spoken about like how we can't expect these kids to um, win us games um, or, you know, make an impact when they're given five minutes against world-class opposition, etc. However, in this game, I would maybe like to see Raksaki given a start, not both of them, but like, I, I just think Schlupp was so ineffective with or without the ball against Tottenham that you move, move Ayu to the left, play Raksaki on the right, from the start and just see just see what happens you know like you, you i feel like players he's much likely to show what he can actually do because i still don't feel like i've really got a read on what his ceiling is because he's it's like fleeting sub appearances um and you know maybe he gets the ball three times and every time he gets the ball he's under pressure to mm. dribble past two players and put across it like give him a whole game against the sort of opposition that he was playing against last season. Was he in League One last season? On Champions yeah, League, yeah, League One. Right, okay. But still, you know, like it's the sort of game where he might actually be able to make an impact rather than um, playing against Spurs. So one of them playing, if they're fit, ready, up to it, would would be nice. But it, yes, it will be the same eleven. <laughs> it, it would be the ultimate bluff from Roy if he spent his presser slagging him off and then starts Raksaki the next, next game. I, I have huge respect for him. Not that I don't really got loads of respect for Roy. Um, but yeah, anyway, we will see. Uh, chaps, I think that's the end of this week's pod. Thank you so much for joining me. Ruben, great having you back on and hopefully uh, see you again very soon. Always a pleasure. And uh, I think what we were speaking about before we started recording, I, I have ended this podcast in a reasonably better mood than we began it in. So there we go. There we go. Well, I think we've kind of achieved our end. Jack, do you feel better for that hour of chat? I don't always feel better for spending an hour of Eugene Daly, but yeah, it's uh, it's always good to to talk it out. And uh, yeah, it we lost to Spurs. Lots of things. Yeah. Year, so it's been good to talk right. it out. Hopefully it's therapeutic for the listeners, as it Yeah, I was going to say, the listeners yeah. turned off a long time ago, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where it's good to talk it out. So hopefully listeners has been helpful for, for you too.
Indeed, absolutely. We're always uh, up for your comments, so, so do contact us on social media um, or email us if you if you fancy that. We never get any, but if you fancy emailing us, uh, in, uh, contact at fypfanzine.uk. Get in contact. Get one or, get one or two, don't we? Nice, nice no. lengthier. Are we? Oh, no. Okay, fine. <laughs> They've stopped as well. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, a big shout out to our patrons as well. Uh, if you want more from the podcast each week, join our patron, patron.com slash podcast. Link is below. Thanks for joining. Uh, patrons will get a post match pod, of course, at the weekend. Then we're back next week, the midweek pod after Burnley. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week and see you again very soon. Goodbye. Podcast Network.